again, and welcome to another edition of the New Dominion Podcast. I am your co-host, Sean Kenny, with the Republican Standard, sitting opposite me in Irish Green. It's none other than Marty Davis with the Fredericksburg Advance. Marty, how you doing? I'm doing great. Colorado Buffaloes are 2-0, and and Neon Dion is rolling. Well, JMU beat UVA, so not Yay. entirely unexpected. Yeah. Uh, not entirely unexpected, but... Right. <laughs> no, not according to the bookies. I think we were supposed to win by eight, and they only won by, what, one, two? Yeah, well, the important thing is the Colorado Buffaloes were 2-0, and oh, and Neon Dion is... Do, doing his job. <laughs> I, I am glued in front of my TV every Saturday watching the Buffaloes and seeing what they're doing next. Very good, very good. Well, sitting in studio with us is none other than Councilman Matt Kelly. Matt Kelly has served... How many terms is it? Four now? I believe, yeah, finishing at four terms. That's awesome. Four terms on the Fredericksburg City Council is a longstanding um, Fredericksburg citizen and graduated of the University of Mary Washington. You have um, a JMU background I graduated well? from Mary Washington College, which yes. is why I don't like Wahoos. And I, I, I also had a son graduate JMU, so I got you. You don't like points. Wahoos even though you're sort of like the bastard stepchild of UVA proper? I mean, didn't we build your your school? Uh, yes, you did, and, yeah. and yeah, there's a lot of stories behind that. But if you were a guy in Mary Washington in, in you know, 1976 to 1980 time frame, it was tough road to hoe. Really? Oh yeah, because instead of just staying on your campus in Charlottesville, you all came to kept on coming to here. Well, that's a, you, that's what we did. Well, when the boy-girl ratio was 45 women to one men, I, I can see why they'd be coming up here. It was, it, it was just purely, that, that was purely the rivalries. All the Wahoos would come to Charlottesville or go out from Charlottesville and go to Fredericksburg and just sort of, you know, cramp Yeah, style. they'd be all the parties, everything that was going on in school. It was all, that circled around the, the, the UVA, Quantico and the Naval Academy at the time. Uh, that was the big three. People come all the way down from the Naval Academy? Mm-hmm. Wow. Times have changed. Now people don't even, I mean, like you can't practically get down 95 nowadays. So there's that. But yeah, I guess the world got smaller and bigger at the same time then. That's weird. No, I talked to walking to campus uh, before the, the, of course, they had the debate you were this past week for the uh, House of Delegates. And I was there just to meet people. And first time I got a chance to really walk on the campus I live not too far off, but I don't spend a lot of time on it. Boy, that place has really changed from. Do they call it campus or is it grounds? Did, how much how much from UVA did this Mary Washington really like borrow? Other than the architecture, is it still just campus? It's just campus. Okay. It's still just campus. That's fair, but it is gorgeous though. I mean, I'm still surprised how much how few people in Fredericksburg have actually walked the campus at Mary Washington. No, it, is, it was you know, again. It was a great walk. I had a great time going there and. and Hitting the spots where I, I of course met my my lovely wife there. Aww. So and she's now out of town on a trip, and I was taking pictures. of dear, do you remember when? And here's a picture of your dorm door and when we first met. And here's a picture of where we had one of our dates. And here's Aww. a picture. Of- <laughs> That's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> She enjoyed it, so that's good. That's it. So you've you, but you've also seen Fredericksburg grow, especially over the last forty years, um, uh, quite a bit. Yes, quite a bit. So, so here's something where you've got kind of the extra special insight, and we've talked about. So Marty and I have talked about this a little in the past in terms of like the relationship between localities and Richmond and how it works, and most of the time how it doesn't work. Um, maybe like in, in, you know, like transportation is a great, great big issue. You put it right alongside like land use and things of that nature and what it's done to the Fredericksburg area over the course of time. Um, talk to me a little bit about that because you've got a pretty unique perspective, just like FAMPO and some of the, the ways that, that the city's kind of interacted with the localities and, and how all that works and sometimes how it doesn't work. Well, it's 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 a big problem for us right now, and, and this has been a common theme I've brought up on a numerous occasions, both at FAMPO and uh, on the transportation front, anyway, and uh, before my own city council. 
we all have comp plans. We're required to have them by the state. We got to update them every five years. They're supposed to be great and wonderful things. Here's the big master plan for everything else goes. If you take those comp plans, and we have to do what's called a constrained long-range plan for transportation. We have to identify the funding, and these are the projects we're going to fund over this period of time. Well, Fairfax County did it first, and we thought, wow, this is a great idea. Let's do an unconstrained plan. How much money do we need to build the projects that are necessary to support the level of development? And this is just the FAMPO region, so it's just the city, Spotsylvania, and Stafford. We are, at the last time we looked at it, we are $10 billion short to provide the infrastructure (laughs) necessary to support the level of development. So is is all that state $10 billion short? Are we talking federal as well? Just projects. We're just talking about if we, we, all the projects we would need to build to to maintain the current level of traffic. Would oh, wait require. a second. That's not even new projects. That's <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's building whatever we need to do to keep traffic flow equal to what it is today and not improve it or anything else like that just to maintain where we're at. So we really are down a road that requires a reevaluation of how we develop it. Um, it's also two years ago, it was, it was a, an epiphany for V, two or three years ago, it was an epiphany for VDOT when they finally came up and said, you know what? We just figured out if we build another lane on 95 that it'll be clogged up in like 10 years. <laughs> oh, okay. No <laughs> so, no, the, the future of transportation for this region, you know, we're never going to be able to build our way out of it. Um, we have tried to have conversations regionally of saying, we need to reevaluate how we're developing. We have a suburban development pattern that doesn't work. Um, Charlottesville and Albemarle County years ago did a great charrette and they came up with, well, instead of just spreading out from Charlottesville, why don't we pick areas on 29 or in certain roads and prove those and just basically build nodes of development as opposed to spreading it out everywhere, which is a great concept. Uh, but we just can't get ourselves to have that, that level of conversation. But in the end, what's going to be the key factor in getting this region put back together again is going to be transit, is, is the VRE, uh, trains, it's going to be buses, it's, it's going to be... A, combination of that it's not going to be building more roads in the long term uh, we do need two extensions on 95 to deal with those merges but beyond that we really need to change our focus so how do you how do you divorce americans from their cars though i mean we talk about trains and alternative oh, you'll, transit. you'll never the... you'll never quite do well uh we've well, we we meet with futurists you know with the sure tell us what the future generations are going to do and everything else like that and no i think there is um, Transit will work if a person can be picked up and moved around within basically 15-minute increments. Okay. If you've got to sit there for 20 minutes or half an hour to wait for a bus or something else like that, you're not going to do it. People need to know that they can move quickly. And if you can reach those thresholds, you will see more people taking transit than well, you will driving a car. Except the reality is people are getting divorced from their cars, and that's already been happening. It's been happening over the last 10 years. If you look at surveys that um, talk to teenagers, what do they value more, their driver's license or their phones? They value their phones over a driver's license. The, the number of teenagers who are getting their driver's license at 16 has plummeted over the last 10 years. But that's not that, that just means they value the phones more than no, no, not, not not when not when the number of teenagers getting their license has plunged. You top you put on top of that the fact that the average price of an automobile automobile when I went to work at U.S. News in 2015, the average price of an automobile, a new car 
was 20, in the ballpark of about $27,000, $28,000. When I left U.S. News in 2020, the average price was $34,000. The average price of a new car today is over $42,000. Cars as a primary means of transportation for individuals is quickly getting out of reach of many Americans. And we are beginning to see people finding other ways to figure out how they're going to get from point A to point B. So the revolution is there. It may not happen in our lifetime, but the generation right behind us is very comfortable with this. And it's, it's accelerating because when you look at what the big three are doing, all of their investments are not in building newer and better automobiles. They have all vested in companies like Uber. Um, and they're all building their, their own networks of delivery systems with a with a future visioning out of Detroit now is not that they sell cars to individuals, but they manage these networks of cars um, like Uber on a much larger scale. And so the way you get around is you go to your phone, you dial up what you want to do, you pay X amount of dollars, and away you go. Um, and you can do it within way less than 15 minutes most of the time. How many 16-year-olds are buying brand new cars, though? Well, my grandfather's or my father is eighty six, and they bought a brand new car last year. Sixteen, you know, I mean, sixteen-year-olds uh, buying brand practically, new, practically none. And but see, here's the other side, right? The, the used car market is horrible. Well, that's because of the, the the the. I mean, you're talking about backups from China, though. We're still dealing with coming out of COVID nineteen. Uh, so you think about thirty two thousand dollars. That trauma that trauma has passed in the used car. Market. Not at all. Yes, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. I, I promise you, it hasn't. I know. Go, go ask I know anyone. For a fact it has. I, well, go ask. So go ask anyone who's got any kind of vehicle that needs any kind of repair. And you're talking. You can't get new parts out of out of uh, you know Chevrolet. You can't get new parts out of Ford. You have to get remanufactures or rebuilds because right. they can't get them. They can't get them from overseas right now. Right. So you know, it's just it's just not happening, right? But in terms of like thirty two thousand dollars for a new car, back to back twenty you know ten percent inflation, twenty percent thirty two hundred times forty two thousand dollars. Not thirty two. Well, well, so you said that the that's the price of a new car. Yes. That, you know when what U.S. News and Report, which was when twenty 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 twenty. So again, between the intervening years, you've had back-to-back ten percent inflation. So you no, stack no, excuse on. Me, excuse me. The forty-two number is that. That's a brand new number. That's the number that just came out exactly. in the last three months. When I left in twenty twenty, it was around thirty-eight, thirty-seven, thirty-eight. Okay, so again, so again, like back-to-back inflation. If just inflationary pressures alone, it should actually be more than forty-two, right? It depends on how it gets cut out. Just Let me give you a different know, perspective because go you're going to go back and forth on cars and stuff until the cows come home. This is and, true. And gas and everything else. <laughs> There's another aspect of this, and when we've done, when we've gone ahead out and done polling and everything else like that with drivers and people, especially in our region, the biggest headache they have is the time they are in the vehicle. Yeah, that is a crucial factor that doesn't involve what the cost of cars is or anything else like that. It's I don't want to have to take 45 minutes to get 10 or 15 miles from my house. So if you set up transit in such a way where um, I. Everywhere I travel, I spend time or a day looking at how does this city do things differently than we do. We all have the same problems. You know, when you go to Ireland, what do you have? You have dedicated bus lanes. What are we doing now on 95 and 66? We're looking at setting up dedicated bus lanes. So if people get on that bus, they are going to fly into where they need to go because they've got priority in that lane. And people are going to start going, why the hell do I want to sit? for 45 minutes to an hour when I can get on a bus and get there and get back. As long as it's run on a good schedule of time, 
Um, you know, VRE right now, we are totally reinventing VRE. The old commuter model is slowly going to be slipping away. But even on the commuter aspect, we're looking at we need to do more express trains. So you don't have to stop at every station. You can go in and zip in and zip out. We need to get trains later in the evening. So if you wanted to, you can stay in Washington a little bit longer, You know, have, go out and have a nice time and everything else like that, and then pick up the train and come well, back. Well, the reality is if you don't work in the federal government, most people in Washington don't wrap their day up before 8 or 9 o'clock anyway. Anyway, so I mean, we, we realize the dynamics and are trying to make VRE more than just a you know, 9 to 5 commuter and also give riders more options, which hopefully will increase. But the key factor that is not entering your discussion, which is a key factor to make transit work, is time. How much time does it take me to do it? And also cost. Because if I don't have a car and I know I can get where I need to go and have to pay two bucks, three bucks to do it, because right now, and, and frankly, nowhere in the world is there a transit system that is not subsidized let's right. put that on the table right and, and and but i think it's i agree with with going down that road i'm not a big fan of subsidies but when it produces something it, ends, it decreases congestion gets people on need to go helps quality of life attracts business as long as they can move around i mean you talked to john fick at, at one time with his distribution service and he's going i'm sick and tired of having my drivers on the road for three or four hours a day mm-hmm. we've got to do something to stop that Yep. And that's the key factor in, that's going to make trend. That's, that's the tipping point right now for us is that's at that time issue. And right. People. But let's disentangle the commute from Washington with the time it takes to actually get around this region, Matt, because, I mean, the reality is, you know, I mean, look, my commute right now is one of the shortest commutes I've ever had. I mean, if there's no traffic at all, it should take me less than 15 minutes to get door to door from my house to James Monroe High School. Most days, it's taking me 25, and if there, God forbid if there's a backup on one that backs up into three, it's going to be far worse. And then if you try to navigate up into Stafford, good luck, right? I mean, there is no good way up into Stafford. So uh, in addition to and getting it, I rode that, that crazy train for 15 years, and no offense to VRE, but I mean, it was... A crazy train. It was a crazy train. <laughs> um, We've gotten better. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, you've gotten more expensive, too. But, you know, not, I mean, not only, you know, it's not just that, but once you get back into Fredericksburg, they're still navigating your way from the train station to wherever you've got to go. And on the weekends, let's face it, we're, we're, I mean, Route 3 on Saturdays, is a, it's gridlocked. 17, most any time, is gridlocked. Um, 610, it's gridlocked most of the time. So... The question, you know, becomes not only do how do we fix sort of these long, long commute issues that are going to be true here, but how do we help people day to day kind of navigate life in this region? Because this is a region that's growing as well. We're attracting more business, both especially in Stafford, doing a good job of that. But there's a major hospital coming into Spotsylvania um, that's about to come up. Uh, there's a water park, which I still can't believe Spotsylvania approved. I don't know what they think they're trying to accomplish with that. But be that as it may, especially when you're giving all the tax dollars right back to the company that's being built here. <laughs> You're welcome, can't, Kalahari. Can't, um, can't approve a baseball stadium, but they can approve a water park. They can approve a water they park. Just, they, need, they need more water to put out the burning book well, pile. To your end. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Terrible. Yeah, but, to, but to cut to your answer. You, so the, yeah, but the answer I'm looking for, so yes, I'm all about what you're talking about here, but my question is locally, what do we begin to do? Because the Fred bus system, as much as I respect it, is not going to be the answer. 
Well, uh, I just had a conversation today with uh, our executive director at FAMPO uh, because in addition to serving on the VRE operations board, I serve on the Potomac Rappahannock Transportation Commission, which is kind of bizarre because it runs a bus system, OmniRide and OmniLink, which is the commuter bus system basically right. in Virginia, which we have no real, well, we do now, but at the time didn't have any interest in it, but I've been spending years of my life running a bus system, which is a very efficient bus system, which is as doing great. Uh, it's it's it award-winning it, it bus a, system. It is a model for how it so should be done. So in the last few years, we're, we've, they've now started running uh, commuter buses from Stafford. They're now going to be running commuter buses from Spotsylvania County. So at the last FAMPO meeting, I said, you know what? It might not be a good idea to start a conversation and bring Bob Schneider down there from uh, – from PRTC and meet with Jamie who runs Fred here and let's talk about how do we either integrate or what is the future of transit in our region and how can we basically leverage the assets of both systems to meet those goals the problem with Fred is you're right Fred does not it's 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 really small it doesn't have, in the grand scheme of things, a, a good budget. And it doesn't have the staffing. The, but, I mean, they do yeoman's work, and, and they no, do they that. they do, but they're built on the 1960s model, model. of city bus transit. And, but to, just to our north, we have a well-run, well-organized, well-staffed. We've got planners. We've got everything on there. We've got grant writers, you name it. We're tied in up there to every—we're tied into Richmond. We're tied into Washington, D.C. on every aspect of transit. To kind of take those two entities and bring them together— and see what we can do. Um, we, we're going to have conversations. I know one of the things Ian wants to do is go down and talk to DRPT, Department of uh, you know, Public Transportation down in Richmond, and say, hey, guys, we're thinking about doing this. And I think, I'm hoping that the state transit department begins to realize that, whoa, if we can take these two entities and work something out to expand quicker. Because you're right. If we were to look and take Fred to the level it needs to be, the amount of money, time, and effort would be tremendous. So why reinvent everything and why duplicate when I've got a bus system just to our north who can easily and has an interest in and already is coming south? Right. And how do, how do we do that? And I think that's one aspect of it. But another one is, and this is where we rightfully get beat up by the state all the time, as we're continually complaining about transportation and congestion and not enough funding and everything else like that. And of course, you know, going even back to Bill Hallis, well, if you guys stop building in every place, everywhere, spreading out all over the landscape, uh, right. that's a problem. And this is where the disconnect between land use and transportation oh, well, there's comes a big disconnect. Play, right? There's a big disconnect. Again, we've got comp plans that you might as well just almost from a, trans, <laughs> from a transportation professor, chuck them out the window and start again. But the problem we've had is, and it's a hard one to get over, is nobody wants you playing in their sandbox. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. We don't want we don't want an un, we don't want a quote unelected regional body telling us as jurisdictions what to do, and we shouldn't. But we do have to have a level of conversation saying, guys, what we're doing right now isn't working. Right. And we need to reevaluate. And, you know, for the city of Fredericksburg, we have numerous opportunities because the Route 1, three, Route 3 corridor will, it will be totally redeveloped. It needs to be. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have serious issues with what we're trying to do downtown in the historic core of the city, which we can talk about. But there are things that we can do. 
to make transit. When we did our first transit study, and we were one of the first regions to do a transit study to incorporate in our long-range plan, the problem was because we had a suburban development pattern, it's hard to make transit work mm-hmm. in that kind of... I mean, we had good north-south, you know, Route 1, 95. You had Route 3, which you can get around but you need to have more centralized areas or nodes of development to service and and get to and we we need to have a much more serious conversation have have you been on have you been at the intersection of 29 and backlick road not backlick road what's the what's the road that runs going toward albemarle high school oh 29 that's a not yeah that's like rio road isn't it which road that rio Maybe I can't remember. I used to go down there all the time when when Austin yeah. was training down at UVA. But uh, yeah, I mean it's. Oh, I you're like, talking about I the like, limited access road that goes through the middle of the right. I mean yeah. it's. It, I, I I love the node concept, but. Yeah, but their node out there was Rockersville, which is like 15 miles away. So if okay. you do that for something like Fredericksburg, you're talking like Chancellor almost. I mean, pro- might okay. probably even beyond, right? Okay. Um, but that's what you'd have to do. Is you'd have to look at like three in Harrison Crossing and say, is this better served? With a limited access two-lane road that's just going to dump everybody else out there. Well, right. maybe that works for the Route 3 corridor. Right. But what you've done is you've, you've taken all the, the, the growth, for lack of a better term, and you've dumped it in someplace like, like Chancellorsville. And then you have to have some sort of plan, something in your comp plan to absorb that. And then if you're aiming south, like where do you go? Thorn, Thornburg? I mean, maybe if you're heading out 208, yeah. what kind of development do you need out in 208 for that? And so it, it works for Albemarle County because the surrounding region is... Is, is one right. you get all the more. It's also very we, rural out there. From, whereas the problem we have is we are on a very urbanized corridor and trying to, to do some of these things. But we've also yeah. missed yeah. opportunities. Place all of our, we've missed a lot of opportunities. I mean, the most notable one was the bypass that would have taken a ton of traffic off of Route Three, dumped it off down closer. Which um, version? <laughs> I, look, I'm not going to get into that. I never got into the weeds. So all no, all we, I know like, is I kept, like, like, when we, I was commuting, I kept waiting for that thing to come. And I'm like, dang it, it ain't coming. But if we're like, like paying for the sins of Hugh Cosner, right? Because this is like the 1970s. Like Hugh Cosner made the decision, like, you know what? More homes means more tax revenue because we're developing all this farmland. And so that means we're going to have more income. And sure enough, we got all the residential and all the Rip residential and, and restaurants. That's still the mantra. And, and pizza huts, again. right? Yep. And sure enough, nobody thought about building the schools behind them. And so we grew out along three. We grew up around Route 1. You know, Route, route 2 was still Telegraph Roads. So nobody touched that. Um, but that's it. That's it. Like in the 70s and 80s, we just built and there was no real plan to do it other than more. And, and that's what's more, killing us right now. More. But yeah. I will talk about one of the versions I, because I, I was infinitely involved in one of the versions. Please, please educate me. I, don't, I, I know there's a bunch of them, but it, it even, was, I know it's a missed opportunity. Even with the improvements that we just did on I-95, which are significant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the CD roads is a key factor because you can separate local traffic movements from the, the main line, which is one of the big problems that was causing congestion. The problem you have is you're still taking the, that local traffic and putting it on a failing road, Route 3. Yes. Yep. The original plan, and by the way, the original plan that included all these improvements on 95, all these improvements with the CD roads and everything else like that was not the idea of the state. That concept and preliminary design for all this came out of FAMPO. Nice. Okay. Not the state. Even though the governors like to cut the ribbons and say, look what I did. They didn't have anything to do with the original <laughs> concept. And I spent two and a half years meeting, and we were talking earlier about what's going on in Washington with staffers, meetings in Washington, meetings in Richmond's and federal highways trying to get them to buy into this because they, if it's going to affect anything on 95, we don't want to do it. 
So we came up with the Greenway concept, which was one of the basically one of the outer beltways, because the problem with Route 3 is you have commercial traffic and residential traffic crammed into one road. Mm-hmm. If we had built the Greenway out to Gordon Road, Wyden Gordon Road, and Spotsylvania Parkway, you would have had that outer beltway, and you could have used the Greenway to take the residential traffic farther yep. out and left Route 3 open for the commercial traffic. You know, it, it was almost problem solved. The problem we have is it's a great idea, a great concept, but to what Sean said earlier, then Spotsylvania and everybody keeps building farther and farther out. And that's where the conversation needs to be. How far are, are we going to go with well, this? Well, it's already, I mean, it's already, I mean, like, like when I moved here in 2000, right? I mean, the there was a giant right off of Route 3, and that's where we had to go into shop. And then they moved one out close to where we live now. And now they're starting to build further down. I mean, it's the same pattern we've seen over and over again, right? And so where does it stop? Well, and, that's, it stops and, and that's one of the conversations we need to have. we got to understand that we can only do so much. And, you know, we keep, when we started building the hot lanes, a lot of us, and I was there right when the planning started, saying, you got to take these past mass ponics. It's got to go past mass. If you, if you just go to, to 610, which they, did, you know, originally did and stuff, all you're doing is moving the clog down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we just couldn't get them because then it was a classic, oh, we'll do that in phase two. When I hear from any organization from VDOT to Transurban and stuff talking about a phase two, that means phase two ain't ever going to happen. It's 50 years <laughs> it's from now. Just, yeah. Oh, not even 50. I mean, that's off the charts. Like, like my, mass ponics as an interchange, is, I mean, it's, it failed 20 years ago, right? I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just not, it's, and, and it's, it's strange because it, it's 95 going right over top of Route 1, right? So it's an yes. even more of a conundrum than, than people really realize. But if we, if we had planned enough up to this point about going, okay, we're going to go down to mass Ponics, then Spotsylvania County, you got to think of what what's going to go beyond that. Because at one point you got to Massaponics, then everything clears up and we were all happy. And but we couldn't get anybody. Yeah, Yeah, now it's Lady Smith. Well, look, I'd like to redirect this conversation a little bit as fascinating as the transportation conversation is. But I'd like to redirect it just a bit because what I would love to hear. uh, So not only do we have Matt here, but we have our ever present Corey and Megan here, uh, (laughs) who are with Main Street, who own Curry Tiba downtown. Matt, I know you're heavily involved in historical district, but I'd love to hear you folks talk about what's happening downtown, how we do it, how we do it better, how we do it cooperatively. Oh, I would, I would actually love to have that conversation. One of the things that has, and I've been around since Main Street was set up, um, as an elected official, one thing I've learned is I can't, I don't know it all and I can't know it all. I'm not a businessman. I don't hire people and everything else. I look to, and, and when it was first started, I said, great, we have an advocacy group for the business community downtown waiting to hear and waiting to hear and waiting to hear. And that's, and, and I got the sense, and I know, I know things have changed over and we're going through another changeover. It was part of this, well, you know, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to do, rock the boat. If we're doing something, <laughs> rock the boat. Yeah, yeah. We're, like, um, we're not a uh, we're not afraid to rock the boat. Please, and, no. Please. And, uh, and, and a lot of a lot of what we're trying to focus on now is um, ding, ding, ding. Here we go. <laughs> a, a lot of what we're trying to focus on right now is we are trying to change how Main Street gathers information, and I think that. Um, we've done plenty of surveys in the past, but I, I don't think they've really asked the right question. Now, me personally, I'm a psychology guy, and I'm really trying to ask the questions that really get to the bottom of 
human beings' habits, especially the habits of the, of the citizens that we're depending on to keep our businesses upright. And I think the, I think the, there has been a very shallow conversation about economy through Main Street. We're trying to make it, we're trying to have a more holistic conversation, helping people understand that it goes beyond just having businesses inside of walls and people swiping credit cards, but the network that it takes for us to open our doors every day, which means, and transportation is a big part of that. Logistics is a part of that. How are the access that vendors have to the businesses down here? What the people that businesses have access to, to work in their businesses, right? And we need to make sure that if we're going, when we are doing that advocacy, that what we are trying to do is make sure that we're maintaining a healthy network that businesses can have access to the resources that they need to keep going and, you know, and run and run their brick and mortars. Yeah, I agree. And I think something that we're really trying to work on collectively with Main Street is being present in conversations that do have a large impact on business owners that Main Street traditionally has not always been present for in the past. Um, And that's something we've noticed just kind of in downtown Fredericksburg in general, there are a lot of different conversations going on amongst a lot of different industries, whether that's transportation, whether that's housing, whether that's, you know, uh, more traditional, I I think, you know, economy conversations. Um, But you know, I think we can all kind of collectively recognize that there are many intersections where all of these issues take place. And business owners are struggling right now. I mean, that's a reality, especially within the retail space. You know, there are a lot of different types of businesses downtown. We've seen a lot of growth. But, you know, businesses are not divorced from the impacts of transportation, of having workforce housing available to employees, of having affordable options for employees to live where they work. I mean, those things are a really a reality for business owners and for employees of businesses. And like Corey said, we really try to focus on this idea of holistic economy. So a part of that advocacy piece that you're touching on, Matt, is being involved and present in these conversations in a way that is very tangible and not, you know, what we're just going to rely on the city, which I think, you know, Main Street has done a lot of great work in the past, um, but we're really trying to uh, knock down walls, right, and and have a tangible impact on the business district, and you need to be plugged in in order to do that. It's very important for the business community to be in in the room at the beginning of the conversation, yes. not after we come up with something and then we throw it out there and everybody comments on it. Uh, and that's one of the approaches that we have that has been driving me nuts for years. If we do something that is going to directly impact a business, individuals, or groups, they need to be in the room on day one. And I'm not looking necessarily for all agreement because we're never going to agree on everything. But you'll have questions, you'll have concerns, and more importantly, you bring a level of experience that most of us and our staff does not have. We have not run a business. We don't know what you're going through. And without that perspective, we get into the problems we're having a lot of times when we deal with these issues. But I want to give a kudos to, to, to Main Street on something and, and one other comment on it. Um, during the pandemic, and I don't know if you, you all were involved I want to give a huge shout out to you guys with that program that you set up to help local businesses set up a website presence. I mean, that was an investment that had a huge positive impact. 
And when Ann was here and she came up and said, we're running out of money and we had a little bit of money left over, I went, we got to, I mean, this was having a huge impact. What we did with our money that we put into the pandemic, it was everybody apply. We'll give you three thousand. We'll give you five thousand. We'll give you two thousand. And it was a nice show. And, and, and my big issue with government a lot of times is we're very perception oriented, not outcome oriented. Yeah. We want to look like we're doing something. Are we really? It would have made more sense to take ten thousand dollars and really have an impact on a business than just give out little checks for a hundred thousand. But having said that, but if you, the one thing that has that surprised me a little bit is the Main Street program came out of the National Trust for Historic Preservation. They are the father of the Main Street program, yet we don't hear a lot about the preservation and maintenance of our historic core of our city, which is huge for me. Um, I'm really concerned about the level of density we're trying to cram into the downtown because we don't have the streets and the infrastructure to support it. And if we continue to change it too much, then... Why does anybody want to be here? I mean, the, the main drive in here is we have some really great stores. We have unique opportunities for shopping and everything else like that. We have re- unique eating opportunities for people. It's got this great little small town feel because, again, if you look what's – and I've seen it, what's going on in Stafford and Spotsylvania to our north and south and what they're planning around us, which is going to be – we are going to – if we do it right, we can be this somewhat tranquil little – sea of tranquility in this absolutely massive amount of growth to our north and south. And I think it's important that we, we have the t- conversation and how do we balance your needs with maintaining that atmosphere and that character, which really brings people in here. Because ultimately, what's financially going to keep the city going is that money coming from outside our 10.4 square miles. We can't compete with Stafford and Spotsylvania on the traditional economic development. We just can't do it. Yeah, that's a big part, too, of, I know Corey mentioned, you know, a new survey that we're doing. We're really trying to gain a better understanding of what is stopping people within the localities of coming to downtown, you know, and trying to really understand the realities of what that is. Is it a perception issue? Is it parking? Is it affordability, right? Um, so there, there's a lot because I think that's very true right now. Currently, most of shoppers within downtown are people that live close enough to downtown to come here frequently or work here. Right. Um, and we're trying to, to really capture that information in a way that's very holistic. Um, and we, we definitely agree, you know, to the, to the point of having programs that are truly impactful for businesses like grant programs, like development opportunities, um, access to, you know, things like consulting and things that are really going to have a measurable difference on business owners' lives as, and subsequently their employees. Um, you know, and, and uh, I think part of it, of that conversation is capacity building, right, for an organization. So our board currently, we're very focused on creating more capacity. Um, and Glave did fantastic, amazing work. And for, for one person, she got a lot of things done, Right. But you have a limit with with a one person run organization. Um, so we're really trying to emphasize that moving forward too. How do we grow capacity in a way that does not detract from the program, and how do we lay the foundation for things that are going to be really impactful for the business community while we are working on that too? You know, it's like a duality. Yeah, and because um, uh, you know when we went into Main Street, 
we thought we had an idea of what Main Street was and what it could do, but it wasn't until Megan and I went to our first Main Street conference and started talk and started having conversations with Main Streets all over the nation, we realized that we that our efforts, although our locality has done some really cool things, it is a drop in the bucket of what is actually possible and capacity is the issue because the ones that are doing like really crazy amazing things like there's one locality that they were having a developer issue they 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 went out and tried to find people to do this job and they couldn't find anyone and they became their own developer and and and, awesome. and and they're and they're and they're doing amazing work but the only reason why they're able to do that is because they had a robust staff that was able to transform this organization into the need that the that the that the locality needed. One executive director is never going to be able to do the things that really needs to be truly impactful, and we learned that all the really good main streets that get all the accolades and all the rewards and all the recognition they have and they have a robust staff. So until we can get it there. We're going to be limited on what our impact. We're still going to try. We're still going to shoot for big things and try to do what we can. But we're also really we're also really focused on building a staff um, in this area that is actually going to be able to move out and do some really incredible things. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you about being present for the beginning of the conversation. You know, and that um, that's definitely a focus for us. Whether and you know, knowing we do have one executive director currently, so as board members, we try to be present at these things and build that capacity in that way until we're able to actually hire someone. But it is it's important that one. I think that that Main Street differentiates itself from the city. A lot of people have the perception that Main Street is a part of the city. Um, and you know, obviously we have a close working relationship with the city. I think that's a symbiotic relationship in a lot of ways, but to your point, main street is an advocacy organization. And sometimes that means, uh, making waves, right? I think that's important that, that businesses and, and, do and have understand that you should do that. You, yes. Again, we don't have the level of expertise that you all have. We don't have the perspective that you all have. And we need to hear it, whether, frankly, we like it or not. Um, you know, from an investment standpoint, what we went through in the pandemic, it would have been great to have a really good conversation. I mean, that program that you all did was fantastic, and we should have poured as much money into that as we could because we're still seeing the benefits of that today. Now all these businesses, restaurants and stuff have this online presence, and it's a great and wonderful thing. And it would have been much better if we could have probably taken what money we were just kind of putting out there and really focused it where... All I want to be able to tell the taxpayers of Fredericksburg is wherever we invest our money, if it's Main Street or whatever else like that, there's a return to them. There's a benefit to the community from that investment. So I'm willing to put anything on the table on that. Well, that's great because we're definitely going to be looking for (laughs) more additional funding from the city moving forward as we do build that capacity. But you're going to need to show how it's going to be spent and what the benefit is going to be. Absolutely. That's that's. you know, I get a lot of people who we, have, we always have these conversations at local government. Taxes are too high. Taxes are too low. I can afford more. I can't afford it more. You know, at, at the local, for me, local government is is totally detached from state and, and federal government. You know, we are here to provide services and a quality of life for the residents that they expect. And my job is to say, okay, what do you want? And then I say, this is what it's going to cost. And if that's what it's got to be, that's what it's got to be. And if I commit to something, you know, the classic 
situation, and I know Sean has been involved in this at one time in his career, where you sit in the room and you go, well, we want to do A, B, C, and D. Okay, staff goes out, staff comes back and says, well, if you want to do A, B, C, and D, well, we're going to have to raise taxes, like four or five cents. And everybody goes, (gasps) yeah. (laughs) And then it's, well, let's only do it three cents. So on one hand, we've just ticked off everybody who didn't want their taxes raised. And on the other hand, we're not going to be able to produce what we said we were going to produce originally. So, you know, my view on life is if we're going to commit to something, you commit to commit, get done. Yeah. Because even if you spend the money and people grumble, if you can show them the end product that something has been finished and done, and hey, we told you that it would be here, boom, there it is. Can we go? Can yeah. we like get back to this tax discussion? I'm oh, go ahead. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, no. no, because I, I think, you know, something happened. I, I think what you just said, Matt, is, is a really valid point, right? It's not this, I mean, there's this, this whole argument against the anti-tax pledge. We've had that since the 80s, right? And, uh, you know, it's it's done a lot of damage. It's done a lot of good. Um, but if you look at what just happened in Spotsylvania with Mark Taylor, right? Here's a guy who sat on you know, it was the head of the county government for, what, six, seven years, something like that, and just eviscerated Spotsylvania County Schools every year he was in that seat, refusing to raise money. Suddenly, he finds himself in the superintendent's chair, and all of a sudden, he's at a meeting. Oh, dear God, we need money. Give us all your money. we got to raise taxes. Right. That was a and, tremendous Mark Taylor impression. How long have you been working <laughs> on that? Uh, well, uh, I've been working on that one for... Uh, yeah, let's not go yeah, there. Yeah, don't do that again. Let's That's not just go terrible. there again. But, I mean, you know, if you look at that situation, it, it, it personifies precisely what you're talking about, right? We talk about taxes in the abstract, and we don't ground it in, look, we're going to, we're going to raise taxes here, and we're going to achieve this. How do we get back to that discussion? The, the key factor, you well, there's a few things. The, the key factor in what you just said is... And this is with where it's transportation. We're talking about a transportation authority now, in which we really need to have. If we don't get leveraged money for projects, we're, I was about Doomed. to say a bad word. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, but if you present it as, if we do this in 10 years, you will have this project and this project, and it's going to improve movement and capacity and everything else. Like That's what you do. You don't go too heavy into the into the dollars and cents as you're saying this is what we're trying to build if we all agree that we're going to build this let's make a commitment and do it um the problem you have in some areas including education i would say transportation unfortunately decisions are based on election cycles and not long-term planning i can tell you in this last round in the city budget in my entire career in the city council, every time there's a council election, what do you think the tax rate recommendation is from the city manager? Zero, zero. And I had a conversation with the city manager about this, and the big concern was what was going on in staff in Spotsylvania County with police and fire and the problems they were having, and they were setting up and what they were doing to address that. And I said, if we don't do something right now for police and fire and basically our employees – it's, we're going to have catastrophic results here. We're going to lose police. We're going to lose. Between Stafford and Spotsylvania, they were going to hire, looking to hire 15 to uh, fifteen or 16 new sheriffs. You know, where were they going to come from? So in that particular thing, I said, you know what? We got to do it. We got to bite the bullet. 
we raised the tax tax rate up another three cents so we can and guess what in another two or three years boom we're going to be right back where we started from which gets back into the conversations of what are we doing with the business community tourism and the character of the city well, this gets back to people working together right because that arms race over police got started because crystal Benucci imposed a major tax increase uh to our and, and she uh, was responding to prince william who was responding to fairfax, fairfax who was responding DC, to and responding yeah. and and, yeah, and but, it just goes down now we've we, we've got to get get our handles on a lot of stuff we also got to get our we, we've got to put this um my sandbox mentality off the table and start doing a lot more regionally. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, and, and, and Matt knows this better than most in the room, right? So I, mean, I came, I you know, I, like the whole like taxpayer protection pledge arm of the Spotsylvania Republican Committee. Um, you know, so that, that's my background. Those are the people who kind of adopted me when I was young, and you know, I put on the turban and, and, and joined the the Taliban at that rate. But the, uh, the, the 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 of course, there's always the other arm of it, it was just sort of like you know, the kind of the old Republican set. Um, but what really broke me out of it was, I mean, kind of mentioned, it's like Fluvanna County, right? I mean, they turn around, they approve a $70 million high school. It cost $140 million to pay for over the course of however many years. That's a $0.24 cent tax increase. If I stuck by my taxpayer protection pledge, I, the thing stays closed and never opens. And I mean, like you kind of mentioned earlier, like the world looks a lot different from behind the horseshoe. You know, and so it's one of those things where the, the definition then shifts, at least for me, very quickly. It's like, look, just holding the line at some arbitrary tax rate isn't and should not be the definition of a conservative. The one, the real definition that stuck with me is pay your bills, right? Whatever is owed, whatever you need to provide, whatever services for that locality, that's what you do. And if the locality wants more, you meet that. You do it in the most cost efficient way possible, not as a jobs factory. I mean, a lot of. I mean, and that's something where you know, the left doesn't like to hear this, but you look at education and county government and city government and things of this nature, it can become a jobs factory very quickly. And when it stops providing services to, to, to the taxpayers, that's when you get your pitch, pitchforks and, and torches and, and have your fun. Um, but then pay your bills, right? Meet your responsibilities. That seems to me to be the first definition of conservative, whether that's at the state level, local level. Even the feds, right? Just, just, just meet those services if they're put out. That's also the first principle, I think. Do of that. The, the, well, go ahead. Reasonable progressives on my side of the aisle as well. Pay the bills, right? I mean, I, I think that is that's a good starting point. Period. What's of the old bird machine Democrats? Those are the whole page well, you go. Don't types. let me in with them. <laughs> yeah, but the, but but the one thing, the one critical point is, and in, in, in specifically with the city of Fredericksburg. I won't say the lowest. I'll say we have one of the lowest median incomes in the region. And we have a lot of people that are on fixed income. So you, you've got to take that in consideration, too. So a lot of times when we do budget and I want to see money go to something else, my first inclination is I want to move budget money from this, not, not create new money. What can I move? You know, what want is there that maybe shouldn't be a want right now because we have needs over here how do we prioritize you know to me the big public safety education you know those are those are big ones Mm -hmm. um and public services you know water sewer and things of that nature those are key but we have this tendency of well no we'll try either try to do it all or we won't prioritize. So, for example, you know, we're, we're about to embark on building a new water treatment plant. Woohoo! Okay. Um, we can talk about that budget. It's be an interesting conversation. <laughs> but, and how we're going to pay for it. But at the same time, we had never done a full assessment of our water and sewer system that's going to feed that facility. And we're now doing it. 
And in, as Sean, even when you were here, you know, we'd say, oh, we're going to close Caroline Street down for three days to do a repair. And all of a sudden right. it's three weeks because right. they found this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. And because we had, well, we, we as local local officials, and I can say this because I've had enough of them now that I guess I'm just getting kind of old and crotchety, but the golden <laughs> shovel moment, you know, we, right. we want that golden shovel moment. We want to be there cutting the ribbon and shoveling the dirt, you know repairing your water and sewer system and making sure the roads are there and making sure the water turns on, they ain't golden shovel moments. They're just the grunt work of of what we should be doing. And so we end up, you know, my biggest concern is, is we kind of try to spread everything out or we just push things down. Because there's no long-term planning. You know this. We have have a five-year CIP. Why don't we just kind of lurch it year to year? And every time I say, well, wait a minute, shouldn't we be planning for five years out? And the answer is, oh, you know, next year, if we don't have it, we can just not do it and do something else. Yeah, exactly. And that's not the way to run a government. No, not at all. I I think with the CIP in Fluvanna, we ended up doing this. They they had deputy squad cars that were 120, 150,000 miles on them. I'm like, time out. It's like, just every three years, we'll buy a new... We'll buy a third of the fleet. And that's and what that, you need to do. And that's what goes into it. I mean, that's kind of a basic bare bones thing. They had never really, even, I mean, same with their school buses, right? It's like, you know what? We're taking that off of education. We're putting it on the locality. We'll buy the school bus fleet. And we'll do it in the CIP every year. So that, that way we're not sprung with a three cent tax increase one time to pay for it. And then the next year, it just gets frittered away. Again, like you mentioned, on 20 different projects where everything's done poorly and nothing's prioritized. Uh, but the, the, the thing is, though, is that you, I mean, you mentioned like Caroline Street getting plowed up like that. It's never popular to be the guy that says, don't just do something, stand there, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, maybe we should have looked at this first before we started turning dirt over. I mean, that's never a popular position when, you know. And again, it's, it's things that we need to do, but again, it's not glamorous. It's not anything else. And oh my, oh, I want to have this and we want to do this and we want to do this and we want to have our picture taken. And, we're gonna, and, and the water and sewer system falls, you know, the road system starts deteriorating. The right. Vehicles, I mean, we've deferred, 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 deferred. And if you read, read our last budget, and I asked the council to do this in the last budget session, you need to go, don't, and, and let me say, we have a great staff and everything else like that. And he is, and, and city manager and staff are responding to the council. That's what they're doing. But if you, I said, you need to get the original requests from the departments. And if you go to the police and you go to fire and you go to even parks and rec, it's deferred deferred we want to move this deferred project forward this deferred project forward this deferred project forward and it's just we can't keep Deferring. doing this yeah, at some point the piper wants to be paid, be paid. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's going to hit us yeah but that just comes back to the same thing again it's like the the, the measure of a conservative at least for myself just you know, pay your bills right and if you do it sooner rather than later they will forgive you for doing the right thing um, but punting on it in pursuit of alternatives or things that really aren't basic functions of government well, that's that's what gets localities in trouble every single time, you know. I feel like I'm playing second base tonight. I'm the one who's always pivoting the conversation. I it's think right. you're it right. only takes you a few days in order to become a good bass guitarist, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Matt, let's uh, let's 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 uh, let's let's talk about the big issue in the room, right? You're locked in a three-way race. 
for two open seats. Uh, you're running against Will McIntosh, who I actually had a, a good long conversation with the other day. And um, my interview with him will be running in the FXB advance uh, next week, along with the one that I did with you, Matt. That's going to be running next week. I know I've been promising. Uh, got a little backed up thanks to uh, whatever it was that was making me sick as a dog last week. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> we're getting those back out. Um, and then uh, Janin, who I don't know much about, I've tried to reach out, tried to get an interview, haven't gotten a conversation uh, with her yet. But, um, you know, this is going to be an interesting run for you. I know there was some hesitancy on your part early on to, mm-hmm. to you know, to come mm-hmm. after this again. We had talked about that back in the back in the winter. Uh, you know, were you going to run? Were you not going to run? What were you going to do? Uh, there was some chatter around town. You might run for mayor. Um, that, oh, you never, know, that, that. never, 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 never. No, I'm just saying there was chatter around town that that <laughs> might right. be happening. I'm not. I'm not putting that on you. Um, so, um, you know, uh, tell us, tell us why you. Tell, why should you be one of the two who wins this race? Well, one of the reasons I decided to run again was I'm a little concerned in the direction we're going in with the city in regards to future development. I mean, we, we've had the discussion in the ADU. We have discussion in housing and affordability. Um, and it all comes down to, oh, we need to cram density everywhere. You know, we've got a density. We've got a poor density here. We've got a poor in density there. And there's this idea that density by itself means lower, lower cost. And that's just not correct in any way, shape, or form. The city is always going to be more expensive than the counties. And in doing that, we're slowly eroding what makes this community what it is. And at 10.4 square miles, again, we can't compete with the counties on economic development. They will always be the lead on that. Um, we, we do need to build and spend more time looking at what should we have here in Fredericksburg as opposed to the current view, which is, oh, this is what the market will bear. This is what the market is giving us. And right now, what the market is giving us is a lot of housing, and none of it's affordable. And again, it's with the cost of land, the cost of construction, our location, it's, it's going to always be an issue. And I think if we lose that character, we lose the game. We just become, I mean, Northern Virginia has slowly sloughed down, and we're another stop on the 95 corridor you for gas and, and, you know, <laughs> gas station stop and a restaurant. And I'm just, you know, it, it's just frustrating to, you know, say, you know, we're supposed to be a preservation community. We're supposed to be protecting things. And everybody, everybody said, oh, yeah, we are. Well, then why did we just cram all this new density into the downtown? We've got places to deal with density. We've got to, we have to redevelop the Route 3 corridor, the Route 1 corridor. And that's part of the conversation when we talk about comp plans. We never talk about what is the economics of the comp plan. You know, what is it meeting? What goals is it meeting? How is it going to deal with our tax base? And frankly, we need to diversify our tax base. I mean, restaurants and, and things are great, but we need higher-end employment. We need some other things here. When it comes to housing... And this is where I, I was on the housing task force to establish the first regional affordable housing plan. And I met with the realtors. I met with the builders. I met with the developers and, and went through this whole thing. And to sit there and have, in the city and have a conversation where we're 6% of the population now will be 2% at build out and saying, you know, we've got a terrible affordability issue and we've got to do this. By HUD standards, we don't. But we, I agree with the concept that we're only sixty some odd thousand dollars median income, not a hundred, which is the average for the national capital region. But why do we look at housing as a political boundary issue as opposed to two, three, four miles out? 
if you have it and you can still, and again, getting back to the transit discussion, if we were to, to build a robust transit system and have housing and housing opportunities within three or four miles of the downtown, you can get on a bus and be down here in five minutes, boom, success. I mean, do you have to be within the 22401 sure. zip code? But if I'm in Spotsylvania, it's like, that sounds like a Fredericksburg problem to me, right? Oh, yeah, because Spotsylvania, <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned affordability. Uh, I can mention a, a former supervisor going way back said, oh, we have affordability. That's We call them trailer parks. Ooh. That was her response. Let, let me say it again. Spotsylvania dumpster fire. Ouch. Hold on. <laughs> I, I think uh, I think I think what you're ta- what you're touching on is really important because um, housing is something that we need to address. It doesn't necessarily needs to be addressed like on Caroline Street, but as oh, long- it doesn't need to be addressed, right? And, and it but- doesn't have to be. A f- there are many ways to deal with the affordability issue with regards to tax breaks, with regards to subsidies, with regards to. Um, there are communities that that specifically for employees and police and fire will put up a pot of money for guaranteeing loans. You know, they're not spending it, just sitting in there and it gets lower interest loans. There's a myriad of things that we have never talked about. But for some reason, and to your point of running, you know, both the people I'm running against are kind of like, yeah, density is great. Yeah, we got to do this. We got. I'm sitting there going, I mean, there's got to be... To your point in, in anything, in fact, to me, in anything in the city, there needs to be a diversity of opinion. You need to hear everything. There's got to be everybody at the table. And we're moving to this monolithic view of, hey, this is all great what we're doing. And it's not, and, you know, there, there's arguments that says that we're going in the wrong direction. Yeah. And, well, I think it's because um, there, as, as much as we talk about, like, diversity in, in, in a lot of ways, it's, I think the ADU debate was easily thwarted because people tried to. There are the people who are on the who are considered the pro side of the political, you know, kind of aggregate of it all. Um, they people touted it as like as a solution, but of course it's not a solution. It is just it's supposed to. It, it's, it needs to be packaged within multiple layers of things that need to, to take to place. To your cause, point, cause we gotta cash the, the important people. point there on the housing issue or on any issue is you've got to look at it holistically right. and not piece by piece, which is what we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on the AD issue, the amazing thing about the AD issue, and I know somebody doesn't want to talk about it, tough. tough. <laughs> and I'll make it very quick. There was no real opposition to ADUs. It was how it was done. Before I left to go to Europe, which is a plan we had for years, not for the last two years, and we had to take it, and it wasn't supposed to be voted on while I was gone, I sent an email to staff and go, well, wait a minute, one, can we, SUP I think was important because we have diversity of neighborhoods, different aspects of problems with them, and it would make sense to do it as an SUP. Charlottesville does what's called a PUP, which is a provisional use permit which is more administrative, but you still go through the process in, in their ADU process. And we, we require renters every year to file that, hey, I'm storing this property, I'm paying my $25. If you did that for ADUs, then at least you'll know from year to year, is it still being operated as an ADU or are you still operating it under the conditions? That you're because enforcement was a huge issue. And sent it off to staff, and I, you know, I got first response was, oh, we'll get back to you by the close of business day tomorrow. Didn't get it. And then later, right before I left, is, oh, we want to meet and talk about it. And then and not until I get back. By the time I got back, they'd already voted on it. So there was ways to do this, and it was just, it did not reach the point. But there was no specific, we don't want ADUs. It's, it was a concern about the impacts. It was concerned about how we were going to enforce it. 
and a concern because, frankly, because of the, the real estate market we have here, you have a lot of people just buying it as investment property. Mm-hmm. And I mean, somebody stood up there and listed the 23 LLCs in College Heights alone with properties. Mm-hmm. And it was concerned about what that was going to do. And that's just going to crank up the cost of housing in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it needs to have, and I asked at the last council meeting, we need to have a serious conversation about housing in the future of Fredericksburg. What are we looking for? Where is it going to go? How do we take that and balance it with commercial growth? Because if we become, and we're the hub, when I talk about hub, I think hub of employment, hub for entertainment, things of that nature. A hub for housing, when we're 2 to 6% of the population, you know, 6% now, 2% of build out, you got to be kidding me. And then if you go too far one way or the other, and I've still got to hire 16 firemen to run a, a truck, I need right now nine new police officers based on a 2020 study, and we've not hired any of those new police officers, and deal with salaries. You go too far one way, where's the revenue coming from to pay for that? Mm-hmm. That's the level of conversation we haven't had yet. Especially if a lot of those LLCs, which they are, they don't live in the state, and a lot, we have money that's being well, a lot extracted. of them do, but it's still it's still an investment ex- property. Yeah. yeah, that's being extracted from the um, you know from the locality. So that's also an issue. Um, but I think um, I think the, I think the main thing here is like you know what is accessibility, right? And we, we don't not every Fredericksburg does not have enough real estate to solve all the problems, but there's definitely enough real estate around us where we, oh, yeah. if we if we're creative and we do the right things and uh we we can do that and then and, and as long as we try to address like the transportation issue like you were talking about earlier which is really important that will that that will change a lot that that it will change density and i don't think i don't think dense i don't think density is the answer necessarily in the sense of just more people being here is somehow better but um and i don't think anyone who's like who really who's who really pays attention to affordable housing i don't think that's really the the argument i think the issue is um you you know when you want diversity there's kind of like this balance of more people but not done in a way where it's clearly not you know, we, we clearly hasn't you clearly haven't done the homework and i and i like i can see the merits like in the in the ADU debate about like, how it's done, I think that is really important. That's anything that we do and do for the city. It does have to be really well flushed out before we commit to it. I think I think that's not. I don't think that's necessarily the issue. I think the issue is how some of this stuff can be framed. And and I, and I think I think for a lot of the people who do view this, the reason why people do view this as a pro a pro a pro or against. Is because there the the whole SOS campaign had a lot of stuff in it that really did not speak to the issue, and there was some fear mongering in it, and so you have so you well have, that went both but you know, that, the, the level of discourse on the ADU frankly got heated. a little <laughs> heated and a little off the rails on on all sides. The biggest issue with that, getting back to our original conversation, was. If we had done followed somewhat of the, of the Alexandria model, where we had those meetings initially with the public and got the consensus and explained to them what it was and how it worked and collected all the information and then drafted an ordinance and said, okay, based on all our conversations with everybody, here's what we've come up with. We didn't do that. No, I agree. We, we had our, our staff sit in a room, locked themselves in with the attorneys and staff, wrote something up, boom, this is what we come up with. What do you think? And that was a 
that really started us down the wrong road. No, I, I agree. I think that I think that was a big part of it. I mean, this is these are supposed to be community conversations, and I think that there's like there's also a lot of difficulty for people, especially people who are renting, people who are living on the Alice line. They it's going to be really hard for them to break loose and and join some of these larger conversations that is happening because they are trying to keep the lights on. And I think that we need to find a way to. We need to find a way to accommodate those people, so we so they are also a part of that conversation well, we as well. Have, Main Street can be a facilitator. We have a, an extensive civic association organization in the city, and we should be talking to them on on some of these issues before. And again, I got a call from somebody who said, well, well, "Well, I we don't have a parking problem here, and I've already got a building where I can do this. And why can I do it? Saying, please just do it. Just make it an SUP, and I'll be happy." And we. That was part of the problem is we have this one-size-fits-all approach, and that's what staff wrote up, and it's just not going to – we're a 19th and 19th century city with you know, modern zoning trying to slam on it, and it just doesn't work. Yeah. We just just too much diverse – and you know, frankly, from a housing stock standpoint, we're the most diverse community in this region when it comes to op- housing options, size of houses, and things of that nature. Well, Sean, I don't know about you, but I feel like the New Dominion podcast can close uh, out <laughs> because we've met our goal. We looks like we've got City Council and Main Street working together. What do See, you think? Yeah, mission accomplished. You can just close it up. It's good. <laughs> we'll just call <laughs> next up. Spotsylvania School Board. Come on down. <laughs> um, so, look, we we are, we are running low on time. We do have one big question that we'd like to ask, and uh, uh, Sean, I'm going to kick it off with you. Uh, what are you reading right now, man? So, I am reading apart from St. Augustine's Confessions. Um, I am reading. A, it's a book called Life, Liberty, and Happiness. It's by Stephen Moore. It uh, talks about the concept, at least, how America borrowed it from Britain. And the chapter already begins, you know, quite famously, as a matter of fact, with uh, 18, like 1740, Ben Franklin is trying to get uh, America Magazine up and running. And he runs into a, to, he, so he hires somebody, and that somebody breaks away from what Ben Franklin's trying to do and starts his own magazine, trying to beat out Ben Franklin before he actually comes off the ground. And so it's, uh, of course, it, that one ends up coming off the ground first. Ben Franklin comes out like three days later. Ben Franklin beats the other one because the other one's just printing pablum. I mean, he pretty much copy uh, the British version of Gentleman's Quarterly and there's just nothing in it, right? But Ben Franklin's is kind of interesting. It lasts for maybe a few more months before it closes up, but then he folds it into the Gazette and that's what launches Ben Franklin as a, as a publisher. Um, so that's how the first chapter starts out. I can't wait to read the rest. It's good stuff. <laughs> sounds like a book that I need to get a hold of and read. That sounds fascinating. Indeed, sir. <laughs> Matt, what are you reading, man? Well, I just finished a, a book on the the race riots in Chicago in 1919, which was kind of an interesting read. It's a topic that not a lot of people know about, and it's not an area that most people think of. But they, in the summer of 1919, a young African-American was hit by a rock and drowned and just it's a, it's a very good book because it talks about how the immigration of of black Americans from the South to the North occurred to Chicago and why, you know, during the war years they needed people for the factories and stuff and everybody came up. The tensions within the communities, while the, the laws of the land were in Chicago were very open, there was no real specific segregation. You have to live here or that there. It kind of got pushed into that, that manner. So that's an interesting read and... and I have two bathrooms and a bedroom, so I've always got at least three going on. <laughs> the other one is, uh, which is an interesting one, is and kind of t- 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 on that is uh, Virginia Clay, who was involved in the I'm going to say suffragist, not suffragette, different things movement in Virginia. Huh. 
And it's an interesting read because of their, you know, Virginia's approach was through the state, having state constitutional change as opposed to the national. And one of the interesting things is how did you deal with the African-American vote? And there was a very strong um, African women, African-American group for the same thing. How they interacted, it didn't quite interact. Hmm. And it's just interesting, the interesting okay. dynamics of, of that which I'm waiting to find out how it plays when out. But it's Virginia, basically her story. When did Virginia actually give women the vote? Was that, that, was they that? didn't. It wasn't until the federal. What, they waited until they went, the... They, the Virginia effort, you know, you had the, the state route, and then you had the national route. Sure. Virginia was focusing on the state route, and that's why there was this tension, because they're trying to get the House of Delegates, which was not exactly the most enlightened. <laughs> Enlightened group in the world, so that's why they were kind of going. I, I wouldn't say they were overtly racist about it, but there was this kind of like, you know, if we bring you guys, Miss Walker, and you and everybody else along with us, it's going to kind it's of the cause a problem. Of the 17th century, or something like so, that. Yeah. But it's an, it's an interesting read of the dynamics of, of the, that movement uh, from not only from the perspective of the South, but also the perspective of what we are doing in the United States versus what you saw in England and, and the suffragette. Interesting. Interesting. Very cool. So, Corey, how about you? You're, I know you're making us sound better and better and better every single week because of all those manuals you read early on when we got started. Uh, are you still working on making me and Sean look better? And I know that that is a well, look, monumental look is, task. It look is a little much. It's uh, sound, maybe, but... Uh. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a great task, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm here to take it on. <laughs> a, a, a Herculean or a Sisyphean one? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean I don't really mean guys. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm always, um, I'm always looking for, I'm always looking for information to be, to be better at this. It just, not just, not just with the podcast, but you know, I'm a, I'm a, rec- I'm a recording artist. I, I do shows all over the region. Um, but I also, but I also want to make sure that I can help, um, other musicians with the best quality uh, and skill that I could that I can possibly muster. So, I'm always looking for the next thing that's going to help me elevate my game. Awesome, good Terrific. stuff, Marty. Well, all right, what are you reading, man? I got to tell you. So, uh, in addition to reading a lot of student essays, and, um, and just in case one is listening, I'm not going to comment too much about <laughs> this. The, the pregnant uh, pause was enough. And that's <laughs> that's fine. That's all. But I do want to say, uh, uh, and Matt, I think you'll appreciate this. So. Um, one of the things that I discerned uh, a couple of weeks into teaching my AP classes uh, that uh, my students needed some help with writing, I think as all of us do uh, at many stages in our life. This is not a criticism of my students. I think it's just reality writing is not a priority at a lot of levels anymore. And so I pitched the idea at JM of starting a writing academy for our, some of our AP students if they wanted to do it. And that got approved, and I'm hoping to start in the next couple of weeks. So I am rereading. Um, a tremendous book, and, and Sean, I know you're not going to be happy with the publisher. It's, it's the MLA, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Chicago Manual for like you went to the University of Chicago. You should know better. Well, wait a minute. Can I get can I get my edge? I, I didn't say the MLA style God. I said I read a book that's being that was published by the MLA. Um, rereading for about the fifth time, I have probably given away sixty copies of this book to journalists that I work with over the years. Called Line by Line which is the single greatest guide to becoming your own editor that I have ever read. I need to read it. I have, I have, I have dog-eared and trashed more copies of that book than I care to think about. And so that's going to 
that's going to under that's going to underscore everything that I do in this in this uh, sort of master class on writing for high school students, which I'm really excited about. I'm looking forward to that, and and uh, I'm excited that the kids that I'm working with are looking forward to it and eager to get engaged with it, and are starting to catch that writing bug in, in an age of of artificial intelligence and all the gobbledygook that's going on with Chat GPT. It is so nice to see people. Finding their humanity in the written word. It's a great thing. Um, so with all of that, uh, wow, guys, this has been a great discussion. Matt, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. I've Enjoyed had, it. Yeah, great. I've, I've had the honor to talk to you for a couple of years now. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's friendly, sometimes it's heated, sometimes it don't happen at all. But it's always entertaining and enjoyable and fun. And, uh, you know, it's it's just a great time. And uh, uh, the city of Rexburg is lucky to have had you serve as long as you have. And uh, we're going to look forward to seeing uh, uh, if you're, if you know, if you're back to do it, do it one more time. Corey, as always, is fun. And Sean, highlighted my week, man. <laughs> Likewise, man. Absolutely. Um, so, with all of that being said, from everyone here um, at the New Dominion Podcast and at the and at the Republican Standard and at the Fredericksburg events, thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>